We're done looking at the, the Olivet Discourse, and as we're heading into Christmas, um, what better text to look at than the story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10? And uh, let's take a look at it. Luke 10, 38 through 42. Now as they, that would be Jesus and the apostles, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. So it would be the village of Bethany. We know that's where Mary and Martha lived. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. (laughs) Wow. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. End of story. Okay. Now, my favorite sermon illustration of all times is the story of Larry Walters. Um, the, the great thing about seeing new faces is I don't know the last time I used this sermon illustration, but if there's one new person, I get to tell the story again, okay? Um, Larry Walters was a truck driver who lived out in California. And um, one Saturday afternoon, it was his day off, he was sitting in his lawn chair in his backyard in the California sun, and he had a vision, a dream. And his, his dream was to be able to hover in his lawn chair over his neighbor's backyards about 50 feet in the air and wave to them. That was the man's dream. Right? So being a man of action... Um, Larry called some friends, and they went down to the local rental store and rented 45 weather balloons and two tanks of helium. And they filled up the, the weather balloons and tied them to the arms of his armchair, his, his folding chair. His friends held it down. He went into the kitchen, and he got three things. He got a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, put it in a baggie. He got a, uh, a BB gun for navigational purposes. And another six-pack of beer, which I think explains a lot of the thinking involved in this story. Okay, So he's sitting in his chair, he's got his supplies, and he's, uh, he's ready to, to go for lunch. He's hoping to just kind of hover over the neighborhoods, the, the, over the neighbor. They, they let him go, and he shoots 16,000 feet straight up in the air. A little bit too much helium. And uh, this was out in L.A., so LAX Airport, he was right in the flight path of the, of the, uh, the airplanes, so they had to shut down the airport because there was a man in a lawn chair floating in the way of the airplanes. And uh, they, they couldn't get him down, so they had to send up army helicopters to try to fish him out of the sky, and he went out over the ocean, and it was just a big deal. Finally, he landed. And all the reporters were there in the news stations. And they asked him three questions. Question number one, um, were you scared? And Larry said, yep. 
Question number two, will you ever do this again? Nope. And then question three, they asked him, why'd you do it? And he looked at them like they were crazy, and he said, well, you can't just sit there. Right? Now, <laughs> now when I first heard that, that illustration, I, it was Chuck Colson who told it at a big Promise Keepers event. And he used that line, you can't just sit there. It's kind of a rallying cry. Uh, men, men of God, rise up. You can't just sit there anymore. Let's go do something for Jesus. And the crowd roared and they laughed and they thought it was great. I like to use that story to teach the exact opposite point. While he, you know, while he held up Larry Walters as, uh, as an example to follow, I want to hold up Larry as an example not to follow. Because sometimes when we just say, you can't just sit there, let's get up and get busy for Jesus, you end up like Martha, who was very busy for Jesus, but Jesus rebuked her. Martha, Martha, you're worried and anxious, upset. You're doing many, many things, but you're driving me crazy. Right? Here's what I want to do. Let me, let me uh, build this message around two phrases. The first one is Martha, who's characterized by many things. And she's being contrasted to Mary, who has chosen one thing. All right, so two-point sermon today. Many things versus one thing. Or let's put it this way. Uh, many thing people versus one thing, people. You go, all right, a two-point sermon. This is going to be quick. Well, under point one, there's three points. So, no, it, it, it shouldn't be too painful for you, okay? All right, let's talk about many thing people. Three observations about many thing people in this passage. All right, first observation this is not a passage about personality types. How many sermons have you heard where Mary and Martha are used as illustrations of type A personalities versus, you know, more introvert, laid-back personalities? And uh, the, the whole message is just know your personality and manage it properly. While that's kind of fun from a, pipe, uh, a pop psychology point of view, I don't think that's what the, the passage is about. I don't think Jesus is giving us personality types here. Right? I think Jesus is rebuking Martha for sin. She has made a wrong choice. It's not your personality needs to be managed it's your sin needs to be repented of. You're anxious and troubled about many things. That's what you're doing. But, contrast, but, okay, I'm going to tell you, this is wrong, this is right, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen. It's not that it's her temperament, it's not her. We don't know anything about these women's personalities. We read about them here in Luke 10. We read about them in John 
11, we don't know. You know, maybe Mary was temperamentally a very busy person, but here she has chosen to sit at the feet of Jesus. So please don't read too much into the whole personality uh, temperament thing. I think sometimes when we turn it into a, a, a personality thing, we, we realize, oh yeah, I'm kind of like Martha in my personality. I, I need to learn to manage it. And we let ourselves off the hook when what we need to do is repent, not just manage our personality. So that's point number one, okay? Point number two, or our observation number two, Martha is sinning, but not by doing sinful things. Okay? Serving in the kitchen isn't sinful. Okay? In fact, serving Jesus is a good thing. So, how is she sinning? By letting her priorities get out of line. By letting her serving of Jesus become more important than listening and learning from Jesus. Put it this way. The bread in the kitchen has become more important than the bread of life in her living room. God himself is in her house. And she's yelling at her sister and yelling at Jesus over hors d'oeuvres. That's sinful. Her priorities are way out of line. How much of God do we miss because we choose to do things that are not sinful, but just not important? A waste of time when we could be learning from Jesus. Let me give you two verses that will kind of help us um, reinforce this. In um, Hebrews 12, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so uh, all of the, the Old Testament saints mentioned in Hebrews 11, they are our witnesses. They're our examples to, uh, to follow. They're people of faith. So we're surrounded by them. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So your life as a Christian now is being equated to a marathon. And you've got examples to follow. And to win a marathon, did any of you run in a, in a Thanksgiving thing? I know Ashley ran in the Batavia turkey trot and won, which is why I don't even show up to those things, okay? <laughs> right. And it was cold out, okay? So you, you had to wear enough to keep warm, but notice in this marathon, it says you're to lay aside two things. Lay aside every weight and sin. Now sin, if, you're, uh, if, if you've got sin in your life, clearly that's a no-brainer. Repent of it, turn from it, get rid of that. That's going to slow you down in winning the race. But notice the other thing he says, every weight. Okay, Things in your life that they aren't necessarily wrong, they're not necessarily sinful, but they're not helping you run the race. They're distracting you from winning the race. Uh, so some people, I picture this. Here's, uh, 
Here's a marathoner, you know, dressed nice and warm. But here's our lives. They're just weighed down with way too much. Shed it so you can run the race. Okay? Another similar verse. 2 Timothy 2.4. The Christian life, you are a soldier and Jesus is your commanding officer. It says no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So, um, entangled. I picture um, barbed wire. You're just entangled. Or... um, my wife's not in here. I can tell this. Sometimes I fall asleep with gum in my mouth. And the other day, I woke up and there was no gum in my mouth. It was in my hair. It was under my armpit. It was all over the pillow. I got entangled. Right? So, some of us we're soldiers, but we're, we're, not, we're not on mission. We're army seals. We're going in to kill bin Laden, and we stop at a falafel stand, and we get distracted from the mission. Right? Um, or picture, you know, you're, a, you're an NFL quarterback being paid $14 million a year to win the game. Or you ever see Peyton Manning when he's like he, he's you know he's up at the line and then he's going and he's telling this guy over here and you got to change he's calling audibles and he is focused. What if he called timeout and he said, you know, I see the hot dog guy up there and he just sits in the stands with people and he's involved in civilian affairs? No, focus on the mission of following Jesus. Okay, so um, point number two is this. She's sinning, but not by doing sinful things. She's sinning by losing focus on what's most important and allowing a million other things to pull her away from what's most important. Okay? Point three. Now you go, you go, but he did get a meal, didn't he? Is she just supposed to sit there and nobody cooks the meal? Right? How many of you ladies are thinking that right now? You're going, right, Rita? Okay. He got a meal out of it. And, you know, we, somebody's got to set up church every Sunday. And there's work to be done. Are we just supposed to sit around and listen to Jesus all the time? Point three. Jesus is not calling for Martha to neglect her responsibilities. He's asking her to simplify and prioritize in light of what's most important. Okay? It's, it's not either or. It's both and. It's not either sit or serve. We are supposed to sit and serve, but what's most important in this passage? Sitting. Sitting. Right? But you're not to neglect serving. Do you know what? The, the parable is right before the story of Mary and Martha. Anybody got their Bible open? What is it? Parable of the Good Samaritan, which is about what? Getting off your rear end and helping those in need around you. 
I think that's an interesting balance. You're not to just sit around all day praying to Jesus. You're to be serving. But there's a time to stop serving and quietly sit and listen. You know, um, let's put it this way. There's a time to prepare a big meal, like Thanksgiving. And then there's a time for just turkey sandwiches. And you need to discern when it's time, when it's appropriate. There's a time when it comes to worship to have a big orchestra. And then there's a time for one guy and a guitar. Right? There's, <coughs> excuse me, there's a time in children's ministry to have puppets and a band and VBS and uh, lots of volunteers and lots of activity. Bring in the magician. Why don't, you know, have a big thing. And then there's a time to just say, we're going to open a children's Bible and read the story. And wisdom is about knowing the appropriate time. And Jesus says, you know what? The time to sit and listen has come. And you're, you're out of control, Martha. Do you know um, some of the laziest people in the world are incredibly busy people? What do you mean? Oh, they're frenetic with busyness. But they're really not doing anything productive. Some of the angriest people in the world are busy people. Look at her. She's she, my good-for-nothing sister. She should be helping. And she's mad not only at Mary, she's mad at Jesus. You don't care. You know, you know people who are always hurt. You hurt me. I didn't mean to hurt you. Maybe, maybe your expectations are all out of whack because you've got all these things going on that don't really matter. So some of the, the laziest people in the world are busy people. Some of the angriest people in the world are, are busy people. Some of the most shallow people in the world are busy people. Why? Because they're so busy doing their thing that they don't sit and listen to God. So how do you know as you enter into this busy, busy, busy Christmas season, how do you know if you're too busy? Well, are you a busy, 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 non-productive, shallow, angry person? Maybe you're a Martha. Okay? Now, let's, uh, let's look at Mary. Let's look at the one thing person. All right? One thing people. Now, you go, but it sounds like Jesus is saying you should only do one thing. Sit and listen. Let me, uh, let me tell you about textual variants. In your Bible, there are little footnotes. Now, now there are footnotes that take you to the, the note in your study Bible that help explain the meaning of the text. But then there are what you call textual notes. And what that means is we have 24,000 
manuscripts, handwritten manuscripts, ancient handwritten manuscripts of the New Testament. Um, They virtually agree, but there's a few places where they don't all match up, and those are called textual variants where they don't all match up. Now you go, our Bible doesn't all agree. How will we ever know what it says? Well, in your Bible, it tells you right there. The little textual variant at the bottom tells you what the other reading is. So here, uh, the, the text, the ESV text says you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. But then there's a little note in the ESV. It says some manuscripts actually say this. Few things are necessary, comma, or only one. In fact, the NIV has actually gone with that reading. The NIV text says, but few things are needed, slash, or indeed, only one. So if that's the true reading, what Jesus is saying is, Martha, Martha, you've got a billion things that you're all busy with, and really you only need to be concerned with a few. And only one, namely sitting and listening to me, is the most important thing. Okay? So, However, whichever reading you go with, Jesus isn't saying you should neglect your responsibilities. What he's saying is most of us, if we're, if we're Martha's, have way too many things on our plate. And we need to chop it down to the few things that are, are important. And really, the number one thing is learning from Jesus. He's calling us to simplify and prioritize. Now, there's an interesting book that came out a while back. It's called The One Thing. It's not, a, it's not a, a, a Christian book. It's a book about priorities. And it actually became a number one bestseller on the Wall Street Journal's list. And um, let me save you the time. I think it's like 24 bucks. So I'll save you 24 bucks here. Okay. Basically... Um, and the thing I like about it, it has little drawings, so I can actually get it. Okay, it, it's basically reemphasizing the Pareto p- principle. You know what the Pareto p- pr- uh, principle is? Uh, the Pareto principle. A guy did a massive study on time management, and he f- discovered that in in work, in family activities, in virtually everything we do, twenty percent of our effort produces. of the results. In other words, 80% of our effort is a bunch of wasted time because it's only uh, resulting in 20% of the results. And uh, the key is to analyze your life and find out what's that 20%. Focus on that, expand that, and you'll expand your results. But don't, don't be too bogged down by this other 80%. 80%. The 80-20 principle says the minority of your effort leads to the majority of your results. And you go, well, what about this 80%? Well, here's a little thing that I've learned. Four Ds. Analyze the billion one things you do on your to- to-do list, and some of them you need to do. You still need to sleep. You still need to brush your teeth. You, you know, some of them you just need to do. But others, you can delegate, give them to somebody else. If you're a boss, you can give them to your employees. If you've got kids, that's what they're there for, right? 
can delegate. You can delay. In other words, just because it's on your to-do list doesn't mean it needs to be done today. Schedule it for another time. Or, here's a big one, delete. Does it really even need to be on your to-do list? Okay. Now, here's, what, here's the example he gives. So most people make their to-do list, and then they start ticking them off one at a time. Number one, it's, and, and the order is just because they wrote the first thing down, um, that's the order in which they do it. And then he says, wait a minute, before you do the could do, why don't you go through and, and zero in on the should do's, and that becomes your important list. So then here's an example. Let's say you come up with a to-do list of 25 things. If 20% of them are really the important things, then reduce the 25 to a list of five. And then his big insight is go through your list of five and find the one thing that is most important. Okay? Now, you go, well, thanks, Rick Warren, for your seeker-friendly, helpful tips here today. Right, Caleb? <laughs> Let me turn this not into just a sermon on how to do to-do lists. Let's apply it to the text. If you do all this and your one thing is not learning from Jesus, your life is being wasted. Right? So if, you know, in your business plan, if your number one most important thing is hiring and firing, now you may need to do that, but if that's your number one thing, you're wasting your life. If your one thing is planting your lawn, now maybe you need to, do, maybe you need to replant your lawn, but if it's your number one thing, you're wasting your life. I think I have divine authority in today's passage to tell you that your number one thing, most important thing, needs to be sitting and listening to Jesus. Isn't that what it says? Right? Now, Jesus isn't here in the flesh. How do we sit and listen to Jesus? Two ways. One. No, that's, I, don't, I don't have them written down. One. <laughs> the word preached. How does, how does God speak today? When a text is studied by a preacher and proclaimed to people sitting in the room. Does that mean my words are infallible? No. But it does mean that when it's done accurately and faithfully to the text, Jesus is speaking to the sheep. Right? It happens here at this church every Sunday from 10 to 11.15 or so-ish. Okay? You've heard me say before, the pinnacle of your week, the most important thing on your schedule, should be the gathering together on Sunday morning to worship him and to hear his voice. And I think today's passage gives me divine authority to say that. If it isn't, the most important thing on your schedule, either A, you're too busy, B, 
you, you, you need to go to a church where the word is really preached. Because I admit, a lot of people say, I've gone to church and it's a waste of time. And you know what? It is. Because they don't preach the word. They have beautiful music and a great children's program. But it's just fluff. Find a church where the word is taken seriously so you can hear Jesus. Or the third option is you're not saved. And if you're not saved, you're going to be bored with the preaching of the word of God. Okay? But you go, how do I... How do I make sitting and hearing from Jesus the number one priority in my life? Well, hearing the word preached is one way you hear it. Second way is the word studied on your own. Notice I didn't say having a daily quiet time. I once heard R.C. Sproul. Say, where in the Bible does it say that you need to have a daily quiet time? He says, now, the Bible tells you to study, King James Version, study to shew thyself approved unto God. You're commanded to study. But what he's getting at is, I think we've, we've fallen into this, I have my daily quiet time, it's a devotional time where I kind of go into the ethereal realm and I read a psalm. I open the book, uh, I open my daily bread and read the devotional and it has a verse that I'm to look up. I'm all for the daily bread. I'm all for, you know, devotionals and so forth. But you're never going to grow just piecemeal reading a verse out of context once a day. Study means you systematically read through a book of the Bible in context, asking hard questions, looking up in commentaries or the footnotes or online or talking with one another so you get the meaning of the passage. In other words, devotions is kind of passive. And whether you get the meaning of the passage or not, you still feel good because you put in your time. Study involves thinking and clearing away your schedule and turning off the radio and turning off the TV and shutting the kids out and thinking hard about the text. And you know what? When you do that, you hear the voice of Jesus. I I don't hear him audibly, but he speaks when I understand his text. And I understand his text when I do the hard work of studying. Study. Some people are never going to grow. They're Marthas because they've let the busyness of the world distract them from hearing God speak in a church where the gospel is preached. Ah, if I go, I go. If I'm too busy, it's Thanksgiving weekend. Ah, you know, whatever. Because they don't make that the top priority and they don't study. I think Jesus would say, Martha, Martha. You're successful in the eyes of the world. You drive a nice car. You got a nice job. You dress nicely. But you haven't chosen the number one most important thing. Hearing from me. And you know, I don't see him helping her with the to-do list. He just says, deal with it. What are you going to do to reorganize your life? You know, sometimes in Scripture you have these these 
horrible sins of murder and adultery, and they're called to repent. I, I think this is a passage calling us to repent. And if we take it seriously, we're going to go home and we have to get radical about reorganizing our lives. Two more verses and we'll be done. Then we can, we can worship. Okay? Sometimes you've got to get violent in your repentance. Matthew eleven twelve says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. That means um, John the Baptist, he's in jail, he's being persecuted. The kingdom is suffering violence. And then it says, And the violent take it by force. Now, who are the violent here? Two interpretations. One interpretation is the people who are persecuting Christians. Those are the violent. So it's just saying the same thing. The first phrase is the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and violent people are persecuting people like John the Baptist. That's one interpretation. A second interpretation is that, yes, uh, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. John is in, in jail and he's being persecuted, comma, and the violent take it by force means you got to get you got to get violent if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, the violent in the second phrase is referring to people who are violently pursuing salvation and discipleship. Now the reason I believe that that second reading that the violent is referring to you and me is because in the parallel passage in Luke 16 it says the law and the prophets or until John, so here we have, a, you know, he's talking about John the Baptist. Right? Since then, okay, so the Old Testament was until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. We're in a new era of, of the gospel being preached. And everyone forces his way into it. There, the gospel is being preached, and you've got to force your way into it. So I think these are parallel passages. In other words, to become a believer, you can't just be a busy, meandering, oh, i got so much to do, you know, unorganized person. you got to get vicious and violent to get into the kingdom of God. And once you're in, Martha, Martha, you need to violently throw off the things that are distracting you and make listening to Jesus the number one priority in your walk. Right? And you know what, what you'll find? I won't go through the rest of the scriptures, but you'll find that when you do make him the number one priority, all the worries and the anger and the anxiety go away. Because when you're walking with Jesus... He puts your heart in order and your head in order. You know, let me close with this thought. You go, I'm too busy. Do you know that when you take the time to sit and listen and study and make Sunday your priority, sitting and receiving is a great reminder of the gospel itself. Some of you are still trying to earn your way to heaven. 
You're busy, busy, busy trying to be a good person. And taking time out during your week and taking Sunday morning and just sitting is a perfect reminder that He has earned your salvation. You don't earn your salvation. Sitting and receiving. We don't like it. It's humbling. We want to be doing. There's a place for doing. But the number one priority is receiving. All right? Let's pray. Lord, what a, what a uh, great passage. It's about ordinary people in an ordinary home with ordinary conflict and messed up priorities. And you cut through it all and you even use that to preach the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would enable us this Christmas season to prioritize, to simplify, and to do that which is most important. Learn from you. Lord, I pray you would help us to violently cut things out of our lives and our schedules that just don't matter to make room for that which matters most. And then, Lord, I pray that you would help us put everything else in order that lines up under what we learn as we sit and listen to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.